This is Marlene Ellis, the Hattrick Copywriter, and welcome to this week's podcast, where we're going to discuss all things the Supreme Court in the United Kingdom. Because we've spent the last couple of weeks looking at the Supreme Court in America and the recent uh, nomination of Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, and looking at how she's questioned for 30 hours on live TV and we watch the Senate Judicial Committee ask sometimes some awful, intrusive and underpinning racist questions. We watched Lindsey Graham, for example, imply that Judge Jackson had a sort of a leniency for her decisions on paedophiles. Completely inaccurate. But the point is, we watched the process. She was subjected to 30 hours of questioning and we were free to form an opinion of Judge Jackson as we were free to form an opinion of the people that asked her questions. The nomination process come to an end and now they're voting, but the Senate panel is in a deadlock about whether she gets confirmed. Now, it looks like the numbers are on her side so that she will get confirmed. But the point about this is that no matter what opinions we form about what we've seen in this process and whether we think it's been racially biased or not, we've been free to see it all. Absolute transparency. So I thought what's really important is rather than us from the UK looking over there and saying how horribly racist and, you know, because this is a historic moment. Judge Jackson, when she's confirmed, will become the first black woman sitting ever on the Supreme Court in its entire existence and only the third uh, ever black Supreme Court judge. We had the magnificent Thurgood Marshall initially and then we had Clarence Thomas replace him. Clarence Thomas or his wife has been in the news quite recently regarding their impartiality, their potential impartiality over the 6th of January attempted coup. And all of that looks terrible because we can see it. But what about if we were to look at our own system, our own Supreme Court system? Because this year there have been two advertisements to fill the vacancies in the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom. The advert came out in February and closed on March. Did any of you know? Did any of you notice it? So this week we're going to concentrate on making these comparisons with the court system that we have, whether we think it's really better or not. One major difference is that the Supreme Court in America has only nine justices. In the UK, we have 12. So what do we know about the Supreme Court in the United Kingdom? It's the final court of appeal for all United Kingdom civil and criminal cases, from England, Wales and Northern Ireland, so notably not Scotland. So how do you get the job? How do you get the gig on the Supreme Court? Well, applicants, they must have held high judicial office for at least two years. So the high courts or the court of appeal, and that can be in England, Wales or Northern Ireland. And also, I think that includes Scotland. You, you, that can be a qualification for sitting on the Supreme Court. Or the applicants got 15 years practical experience. So you've been 
15 years as a solicitor, barrister, it still qualifies you to apply. And indeed, you might have 15 years of gaining experience in law, even if you haven't been practising. So there's scope for those that have studied, that have been professors, written books and so on. And you'll find on both sides of the pond in the American Supreme Court, the justices haven't always been practising judges. Indeed, Judge Jackson is probably more qualified than many of them that sits in the Supreme Court in America. So what I'd like to do is have a very quick skimmy through who our judges are in the UK Supreme Court in the name of transparency. I'm going to whiz through them as quickly as I can. Because there are two vacancies, that's 10 Supreme Court judges I'm about to go through. Okay, so number one, Lord Reed, President, the Lord Reed of Alamur. He was the principal judge in the commercial court in Scotland before being promoted. In education-wise, he's a University of Oxford, George Watson's College, and before that, University of Edinburgh, Balliol College. Number two, Lord Hodge, Deputy President of the Supreme Court. He was appointed a Senator of the College of Justice. Then he took judicial title Lord. They all get named ladies and lords by virtue of becoming Supreme Court judges. He was had the responsibility as the Exchequer Judge in the Court of Sessions. And then he served as one of the Scottish Intellectual Property Judges and as a judge in the Lands Valuation Appeal Court. This is Lord Hodge. He was educated in Crofton Loan School, Independent Junior Boarding School, Trinity College in Perthshire, and then he studied at the Corpus Christi College, Cambridge, and the University of Edinburgh School of Law. A little bit about him here. He's got interest in opera and skiing, and he's a member of somebody's golf club. Number three, Lord Briggs. Michael Townley Featherstone Briggs, Lord Briggs of Westbourne. Uh, he was appointed as a Justice of the High Court, receiving his customary knighthood, Chancery Judge, appointed by the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, with the Lord Chancellor supervised the Chancery business and heard cases in the North and Northeast. He was educated at Charterhouse School and Magdalen College, Oxford. A little bit of personal stuff here about him. Lord Briggs grew up around Portsmouth and Plymouth, followed his naval father between ships before spending his later childhood in West Sussex. He's a keen sailor and he was the first lawyer in his family. He practised in commercial and chancery work before being appointed to the High Court. He was the judge in charge of the extensive Lehman insolvency litigation between 2009 and 13. Number four, Lord Kitchen. After studying natural sciences and law at Fitzwilliam College, Cambridge, Lord Kitchen was called to the bar. Practice covered all aspects of intellectual property, including patents, trademarks, copyright designs and trade secrets. He went to Ondal Public School, Fitzwilliam College, Cambridge. Lord Sales, number five. He was made QC, then Deputy Judge of the High Court, Judge of the High Court of Justice, Chancery Division. He was a Lord Justice of the Court of Appeal. In 2016, Lord Sales, as a member of the Court of Appeal, ruled in the 12th of August 2016 that 130,000 Labour members who joined the party after the 12th of January 2016 would not be able to vote in the leadership contest, which overruled the previous High Court decision 
to allow 130 disenfranchised Labour Party members to vote in the 2016 Labour Party leadership election. In October 2016, Sales was one of the three judges forming the Divisional Court of the High Court on European Union. That was about the exiting of the European Union. His role in that judgment meant he appeared in an infamous front cover of the Daily Mail, Enemies of the People. Sales was educated at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford before reading law at both Churchill College, Cambridge and Worcester College, Oxford. Number six, Lord Hamblen, the Right Honourable Lord Hamblen of Kersey. He practised at the commercial bar. Lord Hamblen was appointed to the High Court and then was nominated as commercial court judge before he became Court of Appeal and then Supreme Court judge. Educated at St John's College, University of Oxford and Harvard Law School. Number seven, Lord Leggett. He practised as a barrister specialising mainly in commercial cases, appointed to the High Court, then to the Queen's Division, to the Court of Appeal, and then obviously to the Supreme Court. Education, Leggett read philosophy of, at King's College, Cambridge, studied at Harvard University as a Harkness Fellow, sorry, no idea what that is, and was a teaching fellow at the University of Chicago Law School. Number eight, Lord Burroughs. He was a law commissioner for England and Wales, then the president of the Society of Legal Scholars. He was elected fellow of the British Academy. He's written many books and articles, especially on contract, tort, unjust enrichment and statute law. He was formerly professor of the law of England at the University of Oxford and a fellow of All Souls College. He was educated at Prescott Grammar School, Knowlesley, Merseyside and Brasenose College, Oxford. Number nine, Lord Stevens, Justice of the Supreme Court, the Right Honourable Lord Stevens of Crevy-Lauger. Don't ask me. He was appointed as a High Court judge in Northern Ireland. He was assigned to the Family Division and to the Queen's Bench Division. He was Hague Convention Liaison Judge for international cases involving child abduction and some other stuff. He was a commissioner in the Northern Ireland Judicial Appointments Commission, first as a High Court judge and then as a Lord Justice of Appeal. He was a senior Lord Justice of Appeal before he becomes a Supreme Court judge. Educated at Independent Swanbourne House School and Campbell College. He attended University of Manchester, something different, with a first class degree. Finally, number nine, Lady Rose, Justice of the Supreme Court, the Right Honourable Lady Rose of Colmworth. She left private practice to join the government legal services as a legal advisor on financial services at Her Majesty's Treasury, worked in the Office of Counsel to the Speaker of the House of Commons, appointed her first judicial role as a fee-paid chairman of Competition Appeal Tribunal, became a High Court judge in the Chancery Division, president of the Upper Tribunal, and was nominated judge of the financial list from its inception. She was appointed to the Court of Appeal and obviously then became a Supreme Court judge. Education, Newham College, Cambridge and a postgraduate degree at Brasenose College, Oxford. That's our current 10 Supreme Court judges. What are we to make of them? Firstly, they are all white. Nine of them are men and one of them is a woman. It's really hard to tell, but it looks like they're all not just middle class, but upper middle class I know you can't tell alone by their university education, 
However, I'll stick my neck out and, and say that's their starting point. Nine men, one woman, all white. Five educated at Oxford, four from Cambridge and one at university. The areas of law are significant. It's like 90%, if not more, come from the areas of commercial property, intellectual property, financial chance fee, contract and tort, trademarks. And you'll notice there's nothing on public law. Absolute zero. One on family law, uh, but absolutely nothing. Just imagine how that contrasts with the relationship the nation has with law. What proportion is involved in intellectual property law? When it comes to the diversity of the judges, it's not just about their, their class, racial and gender components, but what about the areas of their expertise for being the highest court of the land, um, making decisions on all kinds of things? And I would, I would profit that most of us are impacted by public law, much more than private law. And yet almost all of the Supreme Court, no, all of the Supreme Court judges are private sector qualified and motivated and skilled. Absolutely nothing, it would seem, in the public sector, which is disgraceful. Contrast the uh, US Supreme Court judges, what do we know about them? It was difficult to find their particular areas because, you know, they are openly public appointees. Our judges are not publicly appointed, but frankly, with those areas of law, it's implied that they're going to be far more of a conservative nature than they're going to be interested in these public issues, which tend to live in a sort of Labour Party area, generally, crudely speaking, if at all. So in the US Supreme Court, we've got only nine judges and there are debates about they need to expand. But we have a judge, Roberts, he's married, a couple of children, he studied at Harvard. He was nominated by George Bush. Uh, we've got Clarence Thomas, the infamous, really now, Clarence Thomas, as a black man might be remotely interested in black rights. In fact, Clarence Thomas is not just right-wing Republican, but you could say extreme right-wing. And he's really, really dancing on conflict of interest issues with his wife at this moment. So the fact that he's a black man doesn't mean that He's a judge that has any interest in public law. Clarence was born in Pinpoint Community near Savannah, Georgia. He married Virginia Lamp. He has one child by a previous marriage and he attended Yale Law School. He was nominated by President Bush, 1991. That's the first Bush. Samuel Alito, born in Trenton, married two children. He was appointed by George W. Bush, the son Sonia Sotomayo, Puerto Rican, nominated by Barack Obama, so he hasn't been there so long. That was a big thing when she was nominated. She's from Princeton University, graduated at a Yale Law School position where she served as the editor there. She has some public law interests, so she was an important nomination. Eleanor Kagan, Associate Justice, another studied in Oxford University and Harvard Law, briefly practicing law at Washington firm, became a law professor. She was nominated by President Obama as well. Neil Gorsuch, sorry, G-O-R-S-U-C-H, born in Denver, Colorado, 
married, two daughters, received his degrees from Columbia and Harvard and Oxford, pointed to the appeals. Uh, he was nominated by President Donald Trump. He taught at the University of Colorado Law School. Brett Kavanaugh, another controversial appointment, born in Washington, married, two daughters, received a BA from Yale. Amy Coney, born in New Orleans, married. She has seven children. This is the last appointee, you know, that was very quickly pushed through by Donald Trump um, last year, was it? Or year before already? After two years, private law practice, became a law professor. Uh, I think she's more of a, an academic than a lawyer. Yeah. And now finally we have a judge, Katanji Brown-Jackson. She's born in Washington, grew up in Miami, Florida. She's married with two daughters. Parents attended a segregated primary school in the South, then attended historically black colleges and universities. Uh, both started their careers as public school teachers and became leaders and administrators in Miami-Dade County public schools. She serves as a federal public defender for two years, represented defendants on appeal and did not have the means to pay for lawyers, a legal aid client she took. If confirmed, she would be the first former federal public defender to serve on the Supreme Court. The first public defender. And the profile, in contrast to the British Supreme Court judges, there are nine justices altogether. There are six white justices and there are three people of colour. There are five men and there are four women. There are four white men. There are two white women. There's one black man, one black woman, if Judge Jackson is confirmed, and one Puerto Rican woman. So of the nine judges, we've got six white and three people of colour. Now, like I've said, I've made a point of saying just because Clarence Thomas is a black man doesn't mean he has any legal interests in looking at the law from a black perspective. It's not everything, but that's why I conflate that with public law interests. In the British Supreme Court judges, everybody is white. Of the 10 that I mention, nine of them are men and one of them is a woman. Okay, the educational background is probably similar as the American Supreme Court, but the areas of law is just disgraceful that they all seem to come from almost the same kind of place, commercial, intellectual, financial, contract and taught. One person who has an interest in family law and none, zero, that have any experience in public law whatsoever. And now we have these two that are undergoing selection. I have no idea how they're being selected and neither do you. So we've no idea whether there are any black candidates. We have no idea what their specialisms will be. I think it's almost like it's considered it's none of our business. Because if it were our business, then there'll be some level of accountability. Now, I'm not saying that the Supreme Court in the America is so fair and equal, but that transparency allows us to be critically aware of what it is. In contrast, we are so much further back in the UK because we don't even know what there is to critique. 
And there's absolutely no shame and no apology for the fact that they're all white. Now, I think we've gone beyond the idea that they're just not suitable candidates, that there haven't been enough black lawyers in the legal profession to have reached that standing. That would be the argument, isn't it? We would if we could, but it's just not there. Because we wouldn't in any way suggest that the underpinning of this is a racist system that prevents diverse representation. We need to be far more demanding of this instead of looking over there and thinking, Judge Jackson, it is exciting and it is encouraging. But if it is, why are we not doing anything about our own system over here? So often I hear us say, we're not as bad in the UK. We're not as racially biased like they are over there in America. And I say, are you sure? Really? Are you sure of that? Because how comes our judicial system is so much less transparent and we demand nothing of it? We put no pressure on anybody to insist that they make that transparent. And, and these arguments have been going on for the last 50 years, I would say. And we are still in a position where the Supreme Court is completely white. Now, how can that be? This isn't about unconscious bias. Unconscious means you're not aware of it. And then when you become aware of it, you make those changes. There is also stuff to be said about the educational background. You could argue that, well, of course, why shouldn't we have the best educational people for making such high decisions? I agree, we should have the best, but there's a presumption that if you've been to Oxford or Cambridge and you've worked in commercial or intellectual or financially, the Chancery Division, that you are the best and you're not if you're not representing the diverse voices of the United Kingdom. It's a very narrow area of law. Is it that we're just protecting certain groups? So we need to be on top of those particular areas. I think the problem is that being educated is being used in a very narrow way. And I don't doubt that these judges are highly skilled, but very narrowly highly skilled in these areas. And that's a very big problem that we have in the United Kingdom. I think the worst problem we have is that we don't seem to mind that this is our situation. So I say we stop looking over there across the pond and worrying about the racial prejudices that clearly exist in America and look at our own because we have even bigger problems because we don't even notice it. So that's my podcast for this week. But next week, I shall return to talking about copywriting and why it is absolutely important if you're a business online or even offline and you've done bits and pieces online and you're working your butt off and you still can't work out why having made these investments, tune in next week. So that's it. Thank you for listening. Have a good week. I will speak to you soon. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you.